Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to verse 41. Mark 4, 35 to 41. If you have notes, that would be good because we might go through a couple of scriptures. <clears throat> a very famous story. Uh, we probably all heard that story and maybe heard so many messages preached from that story before. So we're going to try to go over it. I think it's uh, very appropriate for us as a church uh, that this is the passage we are studying this week. Mark 4, 35 to 41. Here's what the scripture says. On the same day, um, remember what we have been talking about uh, the last few weeks, Jesus going through the parables, the parable of the sower and the wheat. Um, it seems like from the account in Mark that on that same day, after Jesus just finished teaching all these parables, on the same day, when evening had come, he said to the disciples, to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitudes, they took him along in the boat as he was. And the, other, and the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, sleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39. Then he arose and uh, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obeys him? Amen. <clears throat> so the setting of our story here, we actually read a little bit about that in the beginning of Mark chapter 4, 4, 1. Mark 4, 1, read this. And again, he began to teach them by the sea. So Jesus at that point was by the sea and a great multitude would gather to him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So imagine the picture, Jesus in the lake in a boat and all the multitudes are on the land and Jesus is sitting down to teach them. And it seems like from verse 35 that when the evening come, Jesus finished teaching. So it's like he's been teaching the whole day from the morning to the evening. And you guys get bored, bored after I preach for 30 minutes. That's not cool. Anyways, Jesus preached the whole day and uh, the evening came. It seems like at this point he was already in the boat and the disciples probably with him in the boat. And um, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And that's, that makes sense now. Verse 36 makes sense now. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along. The disciples took Jesus along in the boat as he was. You remember the context. He's sitting in the boat. So that he said, yeah, let's go, boys. And then said, okay, we'll take you with us. We'll, we'll take you as things are while you're sitting. We're not going to change anything. We're just going to go. And it seems like Jesus was obviously tired from teaching the whole day. So he goes to sleep on a pillow in the boat. And then obviously a windstorm appears. And the disciples probably tried to wait as long as they possibly can. But then they got the point that they actually freaked out because they figured it's, it's just we're dying. The water, according to the scripture here, is already filling the boat. So it's, 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 it's over. And they came to Jesus and say. Don't you care? We're perishing. We're dying. And uh, Jesus woke up, obviously, with one word. He said, peace be still to the, to the raging sea. And it immediately became so quiet. 
And then he rebukes the disciples and he said, how, how is it that you don't have any faith? Matthew have it backward, have Jesus rebuking the disciples first and then calming the sea. The end of that story is that um, the disciples were in absolute utter fear and awe of who Jesus is. And then they start asking one another, who is this? That even <coughs> the wind and the sea obey him, which is very interesting. Remember, in the context earlier in that chapter, when Jesus was teaching in parables, he was telling them, you know, I'm teaching in parable because it is to you, my disciples, who was given the secrets of the kingdom of God, right? Now, it seems like our story here is still in us that in order for us to learn the secrets of the kingdom of God, there is practical lessons that we have to learn. You have to experience so many things with Jesus one-on-one -on -one, so that you can actually get to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. You guys are with me? So Jesus said, yes, this is not for everybody. This is just for you guys because you have the privilege of having the secrets of the kingdom of God. But with that, this is, doesn't come cheap that you learn the secrets of the kingdom of God. You have to struggle with me and figure things out along with me so you can not just know it intellectually, but experience the very secrets of the kingdom of God. And you can see that the multitudes were amazed so many times before asking, who is that? But even the disciples who have been granted the secrets of the kingdom of God themselves were confused in verse 41. And they were asking, who can this be? They've been with him. They served with him. They ministered with him. They've seen his miracles. Yet, after that particular incident, we see them just as clueless in a way as everybody else. Their eyes were not really open to know who Jesus is except after the resurrection. Only the demons that knew who Jesus was during his ministry on earth. Obviously, God also said during his baptism that he is my son. But other than God declaring him to be his son and the demons declaring that he is the son of God, Peter eventually said that. But for the most part, we can see that the disciples were really not sure who Jesus really was. Obviously, Peter later said, you are the divine son of the living God. And Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. But this is just kind of like, you know, an experience. The disciples went with Jesus so they can learn and not just learn, but to experience the secrets of the kingdom of God. So today in our stories, I just want to highlight five points with you guys. Just very simple. And you probably heard all of this before. But I want to talk about going with Jesus to his school, the school of Jesus, to learn the secrets of the kingdom of God. And I want to highlight five principles in the school with Jesus, what you learn from him. And again, this is for me, God preaching to me and to us as, as a group. The first principle we see here is that in Jesus' school, sometimes, sometimes Jesus causes the hardship. Listen to this. He causes, he makes the hardship in order for us to experience him in a special way. Amen? Why do Christians suffer? Why can you be a good person and then you still suffer? Well, there are many answers to that question. It's not one answer that fits all. The first reason why, there is no particular order here, but the, one of the reasons why Christians suffer is it's a form of discipline from God. When you sin against God, as, his, as your father, he will discipline you. And that includes suffering, whatever the case is, sickness. Uh, God makes it tight for you and your social life, your finances, whatever the case is. But 
as because God cares because he's your father and because you are not behaving the way you're supposed to behave as a child of God, then comes the discipline. I do the same thing with my kids. When I tell my son, don't hit the girls, he hit the girls, guess what happens his way? As pink, right? Not because I don't love him. It's, it's quite the opposite. It's because I love him. I spank him. And we talked about this a little bit in the book of Hebrews, right? So number one, it's Christians sometimes suffer as a discipline from God. But number two, Christians sometimes father, suffer because we're flat out dumb. Just that's what it is. God has nothing to do with it. You brought this upon yourself. It's just as simple as that. You guys are with me? You smoke, you get COPD. Now, when you're suffering with the COPD, you say, God, why am I suffering? Well, because you've been smoking. It's just as simple as that. It has nothing to do with God. God is not mad at you. God is not angry with you. That's why you're suffering. You're not being persecuted for the sake of Jesus. You're suffering because you made bad decisions. You married the wrong person. Guess what? You're going to end up suffering. Well, you knew it's the wrong person. You saw all the red frags, but you didn't care. You end up with the wrong person. You end up having a miserable life, a person that you cannot divorce. And here you are, you're suffering. And now you have to see God so diligently to change that situation. Why are you suffering? Is it because God is mad at you? No, it's because you're just simply dumb. That's what it is. I'm sorry. That's what it is. And we all do it. I'm not saying you're dumb and I'm not. I've I suffer a lot because I made stupid mistakes and don't make the right choices sometimes. But number three, we suffer because we are part of a broken world. God, why do I have glaucoma? Because you're old. It's just as simple as that. There is nothing complicated about this. We get old, our bodies start falling apart. That happens to sinners and it happens to saints. Has nothing to do with God being mad at you. Has nothing to do with God punishing you. Has nothing to do with you making wrong decisions. It's just part of us living in a broken world. You suffer because our bodies, well, let me break some news to you guys. Our bodies gonna eventually fall apart and we all gonna die, right? And that falling apart process is gonna be painful and we're gonna experience a lot of pain throughout that process. We need medicine, gonna be expensive, and it's just, you gotta go through that. That's just normal. We are part of a broken world. Number four, which is an absolute contrast to number five. So number four and five stand absolute opposite to each other. Number four, you can suffer because you are being persecuted for the sake of Jesus. Because you're being obedient to him, and we're living in a world that doesn't obey him, therefore you suffer, right? You want to live right. You want to do the right thing. Your boss wants you to cut corners and, you know, cheat and all do all this stuff. You don't want to do that. You end up being persecuted because you want to stick up to the gospel and you want to present the truth. Obviously, we don't experience this in America much, but when you share the gospel with a Muslim or a Hindu or somebody of a different faith, if you live in a different country, they can kill you for that, which should be okay. But my point is this kind of Suffering is persecution because you are being obedient to God. Amen? Now, number five, this is a unique kind of suffering, a unique kind of experiences that some Christians go to through. This is part of being a, a, a disciple, a, a student in the school of Christ. You go through suffering just because Jesus wants you to experience a glimpse of his glory. Jesus wants you to see something so unique about his personality. And in order for you to see that, that's not going to happen unless you go through some hard time for a little bit. You guys are with me? 
Let's look at our story here. Verse 35. Uh, look what the scripture says. He said to them. Who said to the disciples? Jesus said to the disciples. Let us cross over to the other side. And then they obey Jesus. And what happens to them? They end up in a storm. Right? Now. Who is the cause of that horrible experience, near-death experience that the disciple had? Was it the disciple's idea or was it Jesus' idea? Jesus' idea, right? So Jesus caused, in a way, them to go through that experience, but he has a reason for it. He wants the disciple to experience him. Remember, now they have the secrets of the kingdom of God, and they have to go to his school, not just to learn these secrets intellectually, but to experience who Jesus is, the very core of the, of the kingdom of God. You guys are with me? So Jesus, he, he's the one who caused them to go through that near-death experience, that freak out Jesus were dying, it's caused by Jesus. Think about this. If the disciples were disobedient to Jesus, if they did not listen to him, they probably would have not gone through that suffering. Yeah. You guys are with me? So your suffering here, disobedience would have been the way out of it. But the disciples obeyed and they ultimately ended up in that horrible situation. And sometimes this happened to you as a Christian. There is nothing wrong. You're not old or, I mean, you can, doesn't matter. But it's not like you're aging as normal. You're not making any dumb decisions. You're not being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. You're not being disciplined by God because you sinned none of that. Yet sometimes you go through hardships because Jesus wants you to, just you and him, take you alone for a little bit so he can teach you a couple things about himself. It's not fun, I tell you. It's not, <laughs> I'm not here saying this is great, but I, I hate it. But at the end of the day, after you come out of it, you will experience Christ in such, a, in such a magnificent and an awesome way. The, other, the only other incidents where the disciples were in the sea and the, the storm raged against them and they also almost died was when Jesus came walking on the water, right? We read that story in Matthew 14, 22. Look at what the scripture says. Immediately, Jesus did what? This is the NIV. He made his disciples get into the boat. He made them. In other words, he kind of forced them to get into the boat and cross to the other side. Do you guys see that? One of the English translations, the Knox translation says this. He prevailed upon his disciples. So the disciples didn't really want to go. At this point, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Everybody is happy. It's a celebration. It, it looks like the disciples wanted to stay and enjoy that with the crowds. And Jesus said, no, 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 you go. And they said, Jesus, but we don't want to. We want to stay here for a little bit just to rejoice with everybody else. It's like, no, you go. And they said, we don't want to. It's like, you have to go. And Jesus prevailed against them. He made them. He compelled them that they must jump into that boat and cross the river who's causing and then ultimately they go in jesus goes to pray in the mountain and then um they go through that horrible experience they almost again near death near death experience but think about this who caused them to get into that experience jesus he made them to do this even though they didn't want to because he want them to experience him in a personal intimate way that they would have never been able to do that if Jesus would have not made them go through that experience horrible experience isn't that interesting the only two times that the disciples were almost shipwrecked both times are caused by Jesus you guys with me John 9 
Jesus walking with his disciples and then they see a blind man and in that culture, in that context, when you see somebody like that, you assume something wrong went, something went wrong and he's being punished. God is this disciplining them, punishing them for a wrongdoing. So they ask Jesus, Jesus, why is this man born blind? Is it his fault or his father's fault? What did Jesus say in verse 3? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Again, that kind of suffering where you are going through that so God can just, in a way, show off. That's, that's really the point of that kind of suffering. God just want to show himself off, reveal his character, his strength, his might, his power. So he, you sometimes you go through that so God can show off and show himself off to you, through you and for you. Amen? John eleven four, 4. Lazarus died. Now look at this. When he heard this, Jesus, Jesus said, oh, actually, no, he was sick at this point. This sickness will, will not end in death. Well, Jesus was wrong, wasn't he? Because he died, but Jesus rose him again, right? So ultimately, it did not end up in death. No, it is for, why? Why is Lazarus sick? Why did he have to die and go through Martha and Mary? He has to experience this awful sadness and horrible experience why why did they go through all of that for God's glory that's absolutely true so that God can glorify himself through that so that the God's son may be glorified through it that's the reason for their suffering that's the reason for the sickness and the death of Lazarus so that Mary Martha and Lazarus through that horrible experience Christ can be glorified when I was in college um, I heard a, a guy preaching from that verse one time, and I never noticed it before, but it just stuck in my brain since college time because it is just so powerful. This is from Second Chronicles 32.1. Now, King Hezekiah has been a good king, has been a faithful king. He did everything right in the eyes of God. He, he abolished the idols. He did everything good. He wanted to please God. And look at the wording of, these, uh, of this verse, 2 Chronicles 32, 1. After all these deeds of faithfulness, faithfulness or unfaithfulness? Faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of the Assyria, came and entered Judah, and he encamped against the fortified city. Wait a minute, God, that doesn't make any sense. If the scripture would have said, after all these deeds of unfaithfulness, King Sennacherib came against the city. Oh, it makes sense. God is punishing them because King Hezekiah was unfaithful and he's committing sin. But no, it is not because King Hezekiah was displeasing to God. It's because King Hezekiah was pleasing to God. The consequence of that is that King Sennacherib came against him. You guys see that? But ultimately, God is just showing off. He just want to show his might, his power, his strength to his people. So even though they're being faithful, there's nothing wrong. He's not punishing them. He's not mad at them. Sometimes we go through this kind of experiences simply because God wants to show off through you and to you. Amen? And our story here is an example of that. Jesus just wants his disciples to see his power displayed. And the only way for them to go through that, to go through his school, is that he had to cause them to go to almost near-death experience. Amen? 
So that's lesson number one. In Jesus' school, sometimes hardship is caused by Jesus in order for us to experience him in a very special way. But number two, second point here, is that in Jesus' school, when Jesus is taking you to equip you and train you, and show you who he is, it's usually very personal. It's usually one-on-one. I mean, look at our stories. Jesus was preaching to how many people? Multitudes, right? Crowds of people are listening to Jesus. And then even verse, uh, if you look with me here, verse 36. Now when they had lift the multitudes, so they lift the multitudes. You guys are with me? They took Jesus along in the boat as he was with them and the other Little boats also were with him. So that was not just one boat. There was a bunch of boats leaving that side of the lake to go to the opposite side of the lake. Jesus and the disciples on one of these boats. And there's so many other people who say, hey, Jesus crossing to the other side of the lake. Let's go with him. So there was a bunch of other boats that followed Jesus. But once the storm came, once the, the waves raged, And Jesus is asleep, and we read all that story. Where are the other boats? Do you guys hear about them? No, they're gone. The multitudes disappeared. The other boats are gone. At this point, probably, we don't know. Obviously, they didn't sink. The the scripture would have told us that. Uh, Probably at this point, when they saw the storm coming, they didn't receive a command from Jesus to cross. So they probably bailed out in the middle and said, hey, let's go back. This is not going to work for us. It's, It's too hard. So they might have just gone back, but the point is when the storm kicked in, when the storm raged, there was only two people on that scene, Jesus and the disciples. You guys are with me? The disciples who have received the secrets of the kingdom of God, unlike anybody else, had to go on -on one-on-one experience with Christ so they can know him in such a personal way. Amen? This is not for the masses. This is not for the multitudes to experience Jesus as the one who can calm the sea with one word. This is just for you as a disciple, as a child of God, in order for Jesus again to reveal him power, his power to you and through you. One, again, this is a, a sermon I heard one time when I was in college from a preacher in Egypt. And again, he just brought that verse to, verse to life for me. In the book of Judges, we read about Samson, who was one of the judges and uh, obviously he was a Nazarite, and then ultimately he was disobedient to God. Uh, he married a Palestine woman, which God said, don't marry her. But that's the context where we read here these few verses, Judges 14, 5 to 6. So Samson went down to Temna, part of Palestine, where the Gentiles were living, with, uh, with who? His father and his mother, with his father and mother. So how many people went to Temna? Three, Samson, father and mother, and came to the vineyard of Temna. Now, to his surprise, Samson, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of God came mightily rushing upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have done apart with a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father and his mother. As a matter of fact, it was a riddle that he went back and 
her, his father and his mother heard about it. He did not tell his father and his mother that he has torn that line. Wait a minute. Weren't they all going together as a group to Temna? But the moment the line came, the moment the line show up, his father and his mother disappear. And only Samson is facing that line. You guys are with me? And that's when the Spirit of God came rushing upon him. And he had that, in a way, massive, personal, intimate encounter with the power of God. But think about this. When that encounter was not for the masses. It was not for Samson, his father and his mother it was only for Samson in order for him to personally experience God in such a personal way you guys are with me and when you go to Jesus school like that it's usually not for the masses it's not you and your neighbor and your family go through that difficult time it's not a bunch of people doing it together supporting each other it's usually you and Jesus one-on-one -on -one going through that experience again because Jesus just want to show off his power and his majesty and his glory to you personally and through you personally. Amen? Mm -hmm. So in Jesus' school, sometimes he caused the problem. Number two, in Jesus' school, it's usually personal. Number three, in Jesus' school, sometimes, actually most of the time, if you want to learn that lesson, it appears that he does not care. Pretty simple. That's just what's going on. Look at verse 37 and 38. <clears throat> now, verse 37 and 38. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat on the boat so that it was already filling. That's kind of like, perf yeah, whatever, perfect tense. Already filling. This is like already sinking. This is not like the high chance of it to be sinking. The sinking process already started. You guys are with me? That's what it says here. They already start to go down. It's just a matter of time. It's not, it's not a matter of if anymore. It's a matter of when the ship will go down. You guys are with me? That's what the scripture says. So now think about this. The disciples were not a bunch of doctors and engineers and like white collar workers and that was their first time in the sea and they don't know what to expect and just a little bit of wind freaked them out. You guys are with me? These are professional fishermen. So when the professional fishermen freak out because of the storm, you know this is no joke. This is like serious, serious matter, right? The people who have been doing this all their lives now coming to the conclusion, this is it. It's over. There is nothing we can do about it. That the sink is already start, the ship is already start sinking and the process started. There is nothing going to stop it. Right? What would Jesus do? What was Jesus doing at that time? He's sleeping in a boat on a pillow. I feel like Mark's just want to rub it off in the face of the disciples when he used the word pillow. Now, think about that. <clears throat> If Jesus was praying in the boat, I feel like the disciples would have been, you know, not freaking out as much. Because they would think to themselves, yes, we're sinking. The ship is about to, to go down. There's no question about it. It's, it's extremely horrible. But Jesus is praying. He might be focusing on talking to God, but he has to know that the ship is sinking. You guys are with me? He must be aware of his surrounding. He's praying. He cannot be like so unaware of what's going on. If Jesus was preparing his next sermon, then the disciples would have freak out not as much because they would say yes he might be focusing he might try to prepare for his next sermon but he is surely there's no question he's aware of what's going on around us right he knows the ship is thinking he can't miss it because he's awake whatever jesus was doing that it, 
except sleeping, the disciples would freak out less because they will know, there is no question, he knows what's going on, right? But Jesus was not doing anything that required that he would be aware of his surrounding. He was sleeping. That is the one thing that would freak the disciples the most. It's not that we're just think, thinking. Jesus is definitely clueless. He doesn't know what is going on. He's just absolutely ignorant of our situation, right? And to wrap it off, I feel like in the face of the disciples, it says that he was sleeping in a pillow. I don't think the pillow served any purpose, but to show that Jesus was probably comfortable. He was really enjoying his nap. He was really comfortable in what he's doing. The disciples are freaking out, and Jesus is just happy sleeping. Now, that is as bad as it gets, that Jesus definitely came across to the disciples as if he absolutely doesn't care. He's ignorant of their surroundings, and he doesn't know what's going on, and he's just doing his own thing. They're dying, and he's just doing his own thing, sleeping in a pillow in the boat, right? He come across as he doesn't care. Obviously, we don't know how long this went through, but if the point is that the boat has already started the sinking process. They already start sinking. I, I, I don't know. This is me personally. But I would assume this thing has been going on for a few hours. I would assume that in the first half an hour, the disciples said, man, this wind starts picking up. Oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll manage. Jesus is asleep, but it's okay. He's been preaching all day. Let him rest a little bit more. After an hour, start, you know, the wind starts picking a little bit more. The, wave, the waves start picking a little bit more. The disciples start getting a little bit anxious. But they say, you know what? It's still manageable. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Jesus needs to wake up now. Well, we'll just wait a little bit for him. And then it gets to the point that it has been hours. They're struggling with that wind. They're struggling with that as waves that is raging water is already in the boat the boat is already going down and through it all jesus is asleep he is not showing up to relieve them from that dear from that near-death experience right and it got to the point that they just got just he just has to not care there's no other conclusion around that he definitely doesn't know he definitely doesn't care even if he knows and that's why they went to him and say what is going on how come you don't care about us wake up we are dying already have you ever been into that situation where you go through hard time and you pray and it doesn't get easier it gets harder and the harder it gets you don't get no relief from Jesus. It sure appears like he's asleep. There is nothing happening from his end. He's not coming through. He's not trying to relieve your pain a tiny bit. If anything, the harder you pray, the worse the situation comes. And it does sure seem like Jesus definitely doesn't care. There's absolutely no way if he cares that he would... If he truly cares, he should have done something about it by now. The fact that he has done nothing so far tells us that he doesn't care. Right? John 6, 16, when the evening comes. Now, this is the other story when the disciples were still struggling with the sea and Jesus came walking on water. John 6, 16. Look at, look at the wordings that John uses here to describe that event. John 6, 16, when that evening, so that's evening time, came, his disciples went, went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake of Cap to, for Capernaum. 
By now it was dark, so they started the process in the evening. By now it was dark and Jesus has not yet joined them. So what time the disciples got into the boat? Evening. What time they start sailing across to Capernaum? Evening, right? That's when they started the process. It got dark in that process and Jesus had not joined them. Now if we pick that same story from Mark, in Mark 6, 48, we read this. Jesus was on the mountain praying, so he's on a high hill, he can see the sea, he can see the lake, and from where he's at praying, he can see the disciples struggling in the lake with that storm, and they're about to die. He can see all of that, right? Mark 6, 48 says this, he saw the disciples straining, straining at the oars, because the wind was against them shortly before Look at this. Shortly before dawn, he went out for them. So it's dark. Let's say it's evening, you know, 7, 8, 9 p.m., something like that. Jesus is praying, and the disciples are in the lake, and he can see them. And when does he go to rescue them? Before dawn. He let them struggle the whole night. And he's not that, it's not that he doesn't know. He sure know, because Mark tells us that he saw them from the mountain struggling, but then in spite of the fact that he saw them struggling, he didn't come through for them. He waited till before dawn so he can come to them. Now, I don't know about you. That, that seems like somebody who doesn't care, does it, right? <laughs> if he would have cared once he, I don't know, like if, if I'm in the first floor and my son on the top floor, something happened, he screams, Daddy! First thing I do is I just run to him to see what's going on. That is, he hurt something wrong. I don't even know. Now imagine that I know for sure what happened to him. I will just run because I care, because I love him, because I don't want him to be suffering, right? So I just rush to him, try to help him out. But that was not the case with Jesus here. He saw that the disciples were struggling. And what does he do? He waits till dawn. Now, Granted that, here is the key part. He was waiting, but he was praying, right? And he was probably praying for the disciples at that time. Now, but the point is, from the disciples' perspective, he caused them to get into that lake, right? He caused them to cross. And here they are suffering, and Jesus surely doesn't care at all about their experience, right? It's wrong, right? But the, their perspective is that he doesn't care. It's just perspective. John 11, 5 to 6. Again, the story of Lazarus. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them so much. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I don't know about you. That is as confusing as it can be, right? You love somebody and you hear they're sick. What would the first thing you do? You go, right? Oh my gosh, my friend is sick. Let me go check on him, especially Jesus being the healer. He can go and heal him like, no, no problem. But he loved them. And because he loved them, he heard his sick. So he stayed. That doesn't make any sense. That is the attitude of somebody who doesn't love or who doesn't care, right? And that's sometimes, many times when we go through hard time, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to our church, but obviously you look at our church and it sure seems like Jesus doesn't care. We pray and nothing is happening. We seek and nothing is happening. And the harder we pray, the more people we lose. The church was more full last year than this year. I'm not saying Jesus is going to solve it one way or another, but I'm just saying whatever we're going through is probably a lesson. Jesus is taking each one of us on one-on-one -on -one 
journey with him so he can hopefully ultimately will show us who he is and we all gonna see a glimpse of his glory whatever he ultimately decide to do is fine but it's what we're going through my point is it is not so foreign to the school of christ amen it's not so unusual that we uh, get to that point uh, it's it's horrible like it's not really fun to go through that experience and he sure seems like he doesn't care but that's when we need to trust him more and even more Amen. that he does care. Amen? Amen? So, let's talk about the school of Jesus. Um, number one, sometimes he causes problems. Number two, it's usually personal. It's just one-on-one. -on -one. Number three, it does appear like he doesn't care. But number four, in the school of Jesus, you will see a glimpse of his glory. Amen? Look at that, verse 39. Now the disciples freaking out. They go to Jesus and say, Wake up! Don't you care? We're perishing. Obviously, they're saying you don't care. This is the rhetorical question has an obvious answer, which is Jesus definitely doesn't care. Now, what happens when Jesus wakes up? Verse thirty-nine. Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "What? Peace! Be still! Be muzzled!" That's what he said. Just kind of be quiet. Shut up. That's what it says. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. See, that is the whole point of this story. So that the disciples will learn something about Jesus that they would have never ever experienced any other way. They would have never been able to experience Jesus as the one who can say one word and the sea and the wind will obey him unless they have been through that dear near-death experience. You guys are with me? And if you would have asked John during that time, after that experience, John will tell you, you know what? Now that this is over, I do not care. It doesn't matter that we went almost to a near-death experience because in that near-death experience, I experienced Jesus as the one who can calm the sea with one word. Amen? Ask Abraham and Abraham will tell you, it doesn't matter that I got old and that it definitely appears from every human perspective that the promises of God will never come to experience uh, to, to fruit, fruition. It doesn't matter that I have got to that point because in that very moment I experience God as the one who can give life to the dead and the one who can from one man and him as good as dead can bring so many descendants as numerous as the star of the sky and as the sand of the sea. Amen? Ask Moses and Moses will tell you it doesn't matter that I came to the point that the Red Sea was in front of me and the greatest army was chasing me because it is in that very first moment I experienced Jesus as the one who can part the sea and I can walk through it as in a dry land. Amen? Ask Daniel and Daniel will tell you it doesn't matter that I had to go to the den of the lion because it is in that very den of the lion I experienced Jesus as the one who can send one angel and shut the mouth of the lion. Amen? Ask Daniel, friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, and they would say, it doesn't matter that we have gone through the furnace of fire that was heated seven times, because it is in the midst of that furnace that we experience Jesus as the divine son of the living God, who will come into that very midst of that furnace and will commute with you, fellowship with you, and talk with you. Amen? 
Ask, ask Peter when Jesus came walking on water and Peter would say, it doesn't matter that Jesus waited till the dawn time because Jesus can come walking on water. Amen? Ask John here again and he would say, it doesn't matter that Jesus appeared to be asleep because when he wakes up, all that he has to say is just one word and the sea will come to stop. Amen? It is through these experiences, and I'm not saying it's fun, I'm not saying it's great. Every single man of God probably freaked out a little bit during these experiences, amen? But it is the end, it is the lesson that you learn when you go to that school with Jesus, that you'll see a glimpse of his glory, a glimpse of his power, amen? Number five, it's in Jesus' school that we, you, I, we will learn Faith, trust. When Jesus woke up from that nap, uh, from that sleeping, he would tell the disciples, how is it that you have no faith yet? He's upset with them that they freaked out, right? He said, you shouldn't freak out. I would expect better from you than freaking out. I don't know what he, <laughs> he was really expecting from them. The guys, the sinking process has already started. They're dying. They're fishermen. They know what it is, right? What, what is it Jesus that he's actually was expecting from these professional fishermen when they see that it's, it's over? What is he expecting from them? Right? I think he's expecting them to still, no matter what they see with their eyes, to trust him no matter what. That even though he's asleep, it doesn't matter to them that Jesus is asleep and the waves are raging. And yes, we're already dying. It's just a matter of time. But you know what? We just have to trust Jesus no matter what. Yes, it does seem like he doesn't care. Our eyes tells us he doesn't care. You come close to him and you see, you hear him snoring. That's definitely somebody who doesn't care. But it doesn't matter what you see with your own eyes it doesn't matter what you feel with your own hands you just have to trust him any ways Jesus was expecting that from his disciples in, in other words he was upset with them that they did not have that level of faith I don't know about you that's pretty much a lot to ask for <laughs> right but this is the kind of faith that Jesus wants you and me to learn amen and that's not easy. That doesn't come easy that you trust the promises of Jesus. That comes through trials. When he show up for you one time after another, that's when you come to the point that you can absolutely trust in him. Think about Peter in the book of Acts when, when um, he was about to be executed by the emperor the next day. And the scripture says that he was asleep. Now think about this. I don't know about you, but anybody who's about to be executed the next day, I was just, there's a couple that is getting married today, and I'm going to marry them, and the groom was telling me yesterday that he hasn't slept in three days because he's anxious, because he's getting married, and he's worried about the ceremony. That's just a ceremony. Now imagine that you're going to be executed the next day. I don't know about you. That will make you a little bit uneasy at least, right? But Peter, in the book of Acts, about to be executed the next day, surrounded by about 16 soldiers, if I remember correctly, four from each side. And what is he doing? Sleeping. He actually is sleeping so hard. An angel broke into the jail and he can even hear him because he's just sound asleep. The angel has to kick him to wake him up because he's just out, right? Now, that level of trust, that level of peace doesn't come easy. Peter struggled. He almost fell in the water when, when Jesus lifted him up. He's been through with Jesus a lot of incidents where he really failed. He really messed up. He really didn't have the faith, 
right? But it is because of all these times that he failed so many times. He learned the lesson that it doesn't matter what comes his way. He can rest in Christ. He can rest in his power. He can rest in his will. He can rest in his peace. He can rest in his plan. No matter what happens the next day, even if he gets executed by the emperor of Rome, it doesn't matter because he knows who Jesus is. Amen? Now that kind of peace, that kind of faith doesn't come cheap. Doesn't come just overnight. You trust Jesus today for your salvation. Next day you trust him 100% with your life. That comes through going through the, the, the school of Christ and being trained and disciplined under Christ. That comes by experiencing his glory over and over and over again through times. He pushed you through hard times to show you who he really is. Amen. You get to the point that you actually trust him. Amen. Amen. With that, I'm going to have Katrina to come close us with one song and then we will pray.